Welcome to Tax Wrap, the podcast of Tax and Super Australia. Each fortnight, we present news and insights to tax and SMSF practitioners. If you've got any questions, comments or even suggestions, get in touch at podcast at taxandsuperaustralia.com.au. Welcome to the Tax Wrap Podcast, episode 225. I'm your host, Steve Burnham. Now, this episode, we speak to Tracy Dunn, who is Associate Director of the Tax Services Division at RSM in Perth. Now, Tracy's had a lot to do with JobKeeper, as a lot of us have, over the recent past, and has seen some uh, interesting anomalies and uh, elements of the JobKeeper package that a lot of practitioners are not necessarily aware of. Tracy, thanks very much for ta- having the time to uh, talk to the Tax Wrap podcast today. Hope you're well over there in Perth. Very well over here in Perth, Steve, and, and thank you for the opportunity to have a chat. That's great. Well, look, it's, we're going to talk about JobKeeper, if that's okay, and um, there has been a bit of confusion even, even since, it, since it was first launched and then with the changes that were recently announced, uh, the extension of the re- employee reference date is a bit of a, a roadblock in people's understanding. Um, could you go over some of the, uh, the points that, uh, that, you've, uh, that you've had to explain to other people? Yes, this um, extension of the employee reference date is causing a lot of confusion. What mm. I've found is that there's a lot of fatigue around JobKeeper uh, because right. there's been so many changes up to this date and there's been a, a, a lot of um, updates in ATO guidance and people are bombarded by information through um, their tax agents, through professional mm. bodies. Um, and this announcement with the extension of the reference date was timed with the announcement around to the proposed changes for JobKeeper 2. Right. So we've had some business owners that have come to us saying, oh, we missed it. We, we were so we, we were receiving all of the information, but we thought that that was in coming into effect in the next part. Right. So there are some employers that still don't realise that the, that extent, that reference date has been extended from 1 March 2020 to 1 July 2020, right. and if they have eligible employ, if they're currently enrolled in JobKeeper, yep. they have employees that satisfy the eligibility criteria at 1 July 2020, those employees are now in. They're in, right. Yep. Okay. So they're in. So they need to give them uh, nomination forms and they need to make top-up payments if needed. They've still got to satisfy that minimum minimum JobKeeper wage condition. So right. in the explanatory statement, it says the one in all in principle still, still applies. So if you're currently enrolled, you need to identify those employees and pay them. You right. don't have a choice. And that's going to ca- catch a few people out. Okay. It, it has, it, has it called people out in your experience? Yes, I had a phone call from someone last week that was that had they acknowledged that they'd received correspondence, they'd heard about the changes, but they were so fatigued with the information overload that they had just assumed that that was going to apply with the changes post um, twenty eighth September. Oh, I see. So they just more or less threw their hands up in the air and thought, oh, "This is all too much for me." It is a bit bit, bit much to expect, really, from people who are running businesses to to keep up with this unusual. Uh, requests and demands to, to keep the economy going, but it's an important thing to do. Um, and now, what about the, um, the decline in turnover? What, what experience have you had with that? 
Okay, so we've had a change in legislation that has now passed both houses, mm -hmm. but is waiting royal assent, um, that will introduce um, a proposed 10% decline in turnover test for legacy JobKeeper employers. Right. So that is an employer who is currently eligible or has been eligible for JobKeeper yep. that is no longer eligible post 28 September. So if they don't pass the new decline in turnover tests to um, to be eligible to claim JobKeeper payments, which we're still waiting for those rules, yep. um, if they satisfy a 10% actual decline in turnover test, they can obtain a, uh, a decline in turnover test from a eligible financial advisor. Right. And that will enable them to access certain um, provisions under the Fair Work Act that gives them flexibility around employ employees. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah I know yeah. that f feedback from some of their members uh, indicates that a lot of people are a bit nervous about the fact that the Fair Work Act is involved in all this. Um, I don't know if you've come across that or not. I, I'm very concerned. Um, I've had discussions with um, some colleagues around this and yeah. it makes it very difficult for practitioners because we're not allowed to provide advice on the Fair Work Act. No, that's we not. have a concession to provide advice in relation to the income tax laws. But if we're providing a certificate that enables some very generous um, concessions under the Fair Work Act mm. uh, for an employer, then... And that employee or one of an employee organisation or a fair work officer um, can can contest that ten percent decline. Right. Um, what's what's the risk there for practitioners? Well, uh, it's unclear. Yes, I was going to say, say, is there any clarity on that? So there is risk, in your opinion. I think so. Right. Right. A absolutely. Mm. What can practitioners do though to to kind of keep their hands clean? I think that if they were, if anyone was approached to provide a 10% decline in turnover certificate, mm -hmm. they would need to be ensuring that um, they're asking for um, quite detailed records and asking uh, appropriate questions of the employer right. to ensure that they're able to form a reasonable position or reasonable position or um, opinion mm -hmm. that that 10% decline in turnover is reasonable. What other impacts are there on BAS and tax agents, say, if they're preparing activity statements um, for the JobKeeper? Is there any, any implication to that? Well, there, there, I assume that there will be once we mm -hmm. have the new rules because the proposal is that we're going from a projected turnover uh, test yes. yep. to an actual turnover test. Um, so, from a for practitioners from a bus perspective, if there's practitioners who are preparing buses, this proposed change to the JobKeeper turnover test, moving from monthly or you know the, satisfying the te the decline in turnover for a month, yep. compared to the proposal of being on a quarterly basis, so to be eligible for. The December quarter, you'll need to satisfy the relevant decline in turnover for the September quarter. Right. But it will be on actual GST turnover, which means it's based on your BAS figures. So there's going to be pressure on practitioners to assist their clients in ensuring the BASs are done early enough at the end of September so that the employer can satisfy the minimum wage condition for their employees in right. October. 
Right. <laughs> so getting getting all, all the ducks lined up is going to be very, very important, it seems. There will be a lot of pressure on practitioners um, right. because if, if you do a lot of activity statements for clients, if you have a, a, a broad range of clients that are eligible for uh, JobKeeper, mm. um, then your workload's going to increase in um, oh. September, October. That's right. That's right. Now, what I, I mean, and this is assuming that your employer clients have all the records. And what if they don't? I mean, employers come in all shapes and sizes and some aren't that good at having the paperwork, if you, if you know what I mean. What are the implications yep. for practitioners in, if, in these situations? Well, that's going to be really difficult. And I raised this issue in another forum. Um, in that, and, and if you take into consideration, particularly in Victoria, where you have a lockdown, um, mm. if, you have, if you have clients who have businesses and they're not using cloud accounting, um, then you're going to have a delay in getting written, you know, doc, written, like actual physical documents. Yep. Um, and some employers won't have, you know, if they're not set up to work remotely at home, they have staff who are not set up to work remotely from home, they're not going to have the people who have the skills to be able to do those activity statements to actually get online and do them. So uh, it, it, I, I'm not quite sure how that practically is going to work for some employers. Mm. Um, no, I was going to say, especially, I mean, as you point out, in Victoria where the lockdown's happening, that uh, just makes it worse, doesn't it? Absolutely. Mm. Because not everybody uses cloud-based accounting no. and not everybody is set up to work remotely from home. No, no, exactly. So, you know, accountants, yeah, they can't, a lot of them can't get into their offices. No. So yeah. if... It, it could raise a, a lot of issues, mm. a lot of practical issues for practitioners. Uh, in your opinion, is there a way to, you know, keep your hands clean, as I said before, in this situation, or there's just no way to know until it all comes about? Until we see the new rules, there's oh, right. really no way to know. And all I can recommend is that um, people try to get on top of their records as much as possible now. Right. Uh, that practitioners touch base with their clients um, to see who needs assistance. Because I think you'll have a lot of people, particularly in Victoria, that are feeling very overwhelmed at the moment. Um, and practitioners may be struggling with other issues um, right. that to add a burden to them to be having to get on the phone and talking to clients who are struggling and may be facing the loss of their business, um, that it, it will be very difficult for them. Mm, mm, I, can see, I can see the, the point there. Um, Tracy, now you're, you're dealing with your own clients, of course. Uh, you've got uh, a, a lot of people that you take care of. Um, can you come across anything that practitioners may not be aware of with the JobKeeper situation? Changes that uh, not every practitioner um, may uh, have experience with? I think that there are quite a few changes around the change in the reference date that weren't clearly communicated in the Treasury announcement, but right. that are covered in the explanatory statement. Ah, okay. And that is um, the ability, yeah, uh, that's the ability for an eligible employee to re-nominate with a new employer. So if the employee was employed, the employer uh, was claiming JobKeeper, Yep. Um, and their employment has since been terminated. Under the existing rules, um, then um, you, the rule was that you could only ever claim JobKeeper for one employer, for, from one employer. From one, so yep. if you left that employer, you were no longer eligible. So that's changing so that um, you can, or it has changed, so that you can now renominate 
with a new employer if that employer is eligible for um, JobKeeper. Okay. So you also, don't uh, yeah. yeah, you don't lose it. It right. carries it carries with you under certain circumstances. Yep. Um, there's also the ability for an eligible business participant who is no longer actively engaged uh, in their business right. and they've subse subsequently been uh, employed by an employer who is eligible for JobKeeper. Okay, yeah. Um, then they may be able to nominate if they satisfy the eligibility criteria. Okay, so like a, say a sole trader who goes up, you know, the economy, you know, his business goes out of out of business, they can still get JobKeeper by being employed by an eligible employer. Yes, that's okay. right. Oh, that's interesting. And that, that provides quite a bit of flexibility. Um, that hmm. And that hasn't been um, broadly um, communicated. No, no, okay. So, in, in the preservation of the one March twenty twenty eligibility status, you're saying what what have the what have you come across? What's your experience? The difficulties that people have had with that. That is where um, a an employee was eligible mm -hmm. at one March, and they ceased employment, and they've subsequently been re-employed at oh. a later date. Then that employ that that eligibility status is preserved okay. and they may be able to re-enroll with that employer, which, which is, which is good. Yeah, no, that is good. I mean, it keeps, keeps things turning around. Um, now Tracy, I, I don't know much about it, but there was something, uh, about aggregated turnover announced. Can you fill us in a bit, a bit about that? Yes, there was some confusion around whether or not JobKeeper payments were ordinary income for the purposes of calculating aggregated turnover. Right. Now, if, if JobKeeper payments were included in aggregated turnover, it could have had some really serious consequences because it would have pushed some businesses over the threshold for the small business CGT concessions, the small business income tax concessions, um, some certain R&D implications. Um, we, were, we were alerted to this issue and we raised it with the professional bodies who took it up with the ATO last week. Yep. Uh, and the ATO has um, been fantastic and updated their guidance on Friday so that now they take the view that JobKeeper is ordinary income mm -hmm. and is accessible to the employer, but for the purposes of calculating aggregated turnover so that you can work out your decline in turnover percentage, yep. it is not, it's not included. Okay, well, that clears that up. That's 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 a good thing. Um, what 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 about payroll tax? Is it not involved with that? Forgive me if I'm showing my. Oh, uh, <laughs> payroll tax is its whole own um, kettle of fish, oh, and yeah. I don't advise I don't advise on payroll tax. Right. Um, but but the payroll tax rules are differ from state to state. Oh, of course they do. That's right. Of course. Yep. Yep. I'll just, just and something to, to, else to to worry about, I suppose. Yes, it is something else to worry about. Mm. Um, so for payroll tax, employers need to have a look at what the rules are specific to the, their state. And if you have a large employer that has employees across Australia, mm. um, they will need to look at um, the payroll tax rules in each state because they'll be different. Right. Okay. Well, as I said, something to be aware of. Okay, Tracy. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been uh, enlightening. Um, you've really explained a few things to us. Uh, my pleasure, Steve. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, no. It's a difficult concept and, um, and, and everyone's doing a great job trying to keep on top of it.